how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. To infinity and beyond! Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? It's classified. You talking to me? I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. I can't lie! Expecto Patronum! Entertainment X. You never know what you're going to get. For this episode, I sit down and chat with Shelley Williams. Shelley is the director of Aida, the revival coming up this spring, summer future. It's very exciting, and I am so grateful that I got to get her on the phone for a little bit, discuss the beginning of her time with entertainment and what she wanted to do when she grew up and her journey from being a performer to supervising within uh, dance and directing and now uh, directing Aida. It's a wonderful journey that she takes us on that I think there's a lot of lessons in there that all of us can learn from and we end on a wonderfully beautiful note. So. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope you take away something from this conversation. Shelly, thank you for having this conversation with me, and I hope you enjoy. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me is Shelly Williams. Shelly, thank you for joining me today. It is a pleasure to be on your podcast. I cannot wait to talk about all of these things. This is We're going to talk about Aida. We're going to talk about Rent. We're going to talk about some performing. We're, I want to bring it back to the beginning of time for you. What were your theater dreams growing up? Oh, my gosh. So I did not have theater dreams growing up. I had musician dreams growing up. I grew up um, a drummer. My dad's a professional drummer. And I always thought that I was going to play in the London Philharmonic Orchestra. And it wasn't until um, my senior year, and, you know, my whole life I took dance classes and I sang in church and that whole thing. But I thought I was, you know, really going to be a hardcore musician. And it wasn't until my senior year that I auditioned for the role of Dorothy and I got the lead. And then I realized how nice it was to be on stage instead of in the pit. (laughs) <laughs> and that I was like, Ooh, it's so nice up here yeah. um, that it, it then changed everything. Um, it changed my whole life plan, which is pretty rocking when you're like 18 and you think you figured it out. And so I turned down scholarships to school. I took a year off so I could study acting and I coached for a year, which was shocking to everyone. Um, but my parents were 100% supportive and they were like, if you're going to go to college, you need to be sure of what you want to do. Like, don't waste our money basically. And because I grew up both a dancer and a musician, I only believed that I could do something if I studied it. So I needed to take a year and really study theater and then I ended up getting a scholarship to AMDA, and that's what brought me to New York uh, in 1990. Where did you grow up? Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. And what were your parents teaching you at that time about work ethic and practice? Well, so, you know, I, I said earlier, my dad's a, a professional drummer. He's the drummer for the Ohio players. Yeah. He practices every single day. Um, he is a better drummer now in his late 60s than he was in his 20s. So I have only ever known that if you want to get better at something, you do it every day. Um, 
it, it never dawned on me, like, yeah. otherwise. So, so I, uh, that's all I knew. Right. You know? Right, yeah. No, that and, and makes and I, total and, sense. Yeah, I also knew, like, I was also acutely aware of the business. Um, because the business isn't always, you know, platinum albums and Grammys. Like, the, the business is tough. You know, I saw my dad in his career get, like, stiffed on gigs. I saw contracts fall through. I saw, you know, I was very aware of what it meant to be in the business and both the highs and lows, but also, like, why you want to do it. Why do you want to be a part of this? What are the sacrifices you're making, you know, to your life when all your friends are, like, going to parties experiences what does it mean when you think of yourself as an athlete and that you can't necessarily um have the kind of fun that they're having at this time in their life like i i was i was very conscious of the choices i was making yeah yeah so so then uh you're going to amda and you're yeah. studying now to be a performer that's the the decision and the path you've created you've decided on is that you're going to perform on stage what yes. were those first opportunities right out of you know studying in college what did those look like for you and what were they teaching you so my first my first job was queen's theater in the park and i was like one of the i don't know what they're called like the muses in they're playing our song which was so wild like what a crazy show yeah um but my but right after that like overlapping with that at the very end of that i booked the european tour of 42nd street and that was a life-changing experience yeah you know that i the european tours are not as um there aren't as many of them as there were back in the 90s um but i i ended up doing three tours in Europe and I was there for almost three years and it was an incredible place to, first of all, for someone pay for you to like go and live in Europe is extraordinary, <laughs> but also like to learn discipline. You know, there were people in our tour that had done the Broadway show, which was like, Oh my gosh, so aspirational. They would tell us stories. I was one of like the youngest people on tour. It was like me and Darcy Roberts and, you know, there were a bunch of us that were on this sort of Dennis Jones, who's now like big choreographer. Um, we were all on tour together and we, you know, when you're going to make mistakes and you're going to grow and you're going to learn, you don't want to do that on Broadway because like those mistakes live with you forever. Yes. You know, like you want to grow as an artist regionally you want to grow in your community theaters you want to grow in other places so by the time you really get your shot you understand you have learned from people who have taught you incredible lessons and you're able to really be present um and i'm grateful that i had so many incredible people in my life to give me the most gentle wonderful guidance as an artist yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. I'm so interested. What were what were some of the lessons that you learned on that 42nd Street tour? Oh my gosh. Um, that you can I, share. I learned that you. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, 
I mean, my goodness gracious. I mean, just thinking about youth. I don't know if these are lessons that you learned, but these were like, you know, I learned that you can't go dancing all night. Um, yeah. Have a the bre- have the breakfast buffet and do a matinee. But that hurts. Let me tell you that that one hurts. Um, no, but I, you know, you learn a lot of lessons about, um, you know, what what it really takes to do eight shows a week. The stamina around that. Um, there was so much excitement because we were in Europe and we wanted to go to like a new place every week. And you learn, like, the value of a day off, that sometimes, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. That you really do have to consciously take care of your body. Also, while you're away, it, the business is still going on. Like, the first time I went, I was, like, all about, like, being there. And then I came back to audition after we had, like, an, you know, we were there for eight months and we had, a, like, maybe a month off. And then we were going back on tour. And I kind of lost my audition chops. So then when I went back on tour, I took songs with me, I took plays with me, I took, you know, and none of the stuff was electronic, so it all was like weight in my trunk, because you used to be able to pack trunks, but I took books with me so that I was still growing while I was on the road, and I would pay, you know, our associate conductor to like run songs with me. I kind of realized that New York isn't waiting for me to get back, and like, you know, I'm going to walk into audition and be fresh, that I have to keep it going because I'm doing one show eight times a week. It doesn't mean that I'm growing my entire skill set. So that was a really interesting lesson to learn, that tours are for growth. Yeah. Personal And also, you're in another country or countries. And yeah. what, was that, what was that opening your mind to in terms of just other cultures and realizing the size of the world do was there any moments that you you remember that happening oh my goodness yeah i mean you know it it's amazing when you talk about theater being a collaboration it is so reinforced when you're in another country like 42nd street had some wicked quick changes and when you're trying to coordinate like getting into your dame's parade gown to someone who speaks exclusively Italian, and you realize that this person is going to be your partner through this, and how you articulate in another language, I've got to do shoes, earrings, arms, dress, and we have to sing the song together, because by this lyric, I have to be gone, right? So you really, you understand this really unique and wonderful collaboration with, you know, the people you interface with the most, your wig people, the people who are, you know, your dressers for the show. Um, and they become like your little family while you're there. And sometimes, you know, when you're doing a show in New York, you're seeing the same faces every day and you get in a rhythm. But when that rhythm gets changed dramatically from country to country to language to language, um, it just reminds you of how much of an incredible collaboration it is and how invested every single human in front of the stage, behind the stage, on the side of the stage is in this same story. Um, and I've never forgotten that. It's, it's something that I, I hearken to a lot now as a director that it can feel so seamless and so invisible, 
But it's so important to make all of those people visible. It's important to acknowledge their contribution and the rate it, it, in which they get on the, you know, get into the story. Yeah. Um, I say that to cats all the time, and we go into, like, I love the first day in the theater. It's such a magical day. And I always give a speech on stage, and I talk about all of these people who are adding on to the production and to have the, the patience and the generosity to remember this is their day one. We're on our day, like, 25. And this is their day one, and they are stepping into a moving train their entire goal is aligned with ours, which is to tell this beautiful story with as much honesty, integrity, and as seamlessly as possible. Yeah. How have you gotten better at communicating with direction? Well, you know, less is more, right? They say great directors <laughs> can say whatever they say in, in seven minutes or less. Yeah. Um, or in not seven minutes, in seven words or less. Yeah. Um, that that for me, I spend so much time observing the actors, and I respect actors so dearly because I know the personal sacrifice of of ego, the sacrifice of or, or the surrender to the part that goes into it. Um, but I do a lot of watching, and. I like to give the actor space and latitude to play. Um, even if what I think they're doing is absolutely wrong, I want them to find their way into this in the most organic way possible because that's how they're going to be able to repeat it night after night. If I give it to them, they will do what I want, but that is very hard to repeat. Um, so I like for them to have their journey, and then I very acutely, and I can see when they're uncomfortable in their bodies. I can see when, like, oh, you really want to take a step here. Right. Oh, you really want to... I can feel you uneasy, shifting, what's going on, what's happening with this line, what, what do you need help with? So I really do try to just, you know, stay out of the way, create a very clear vision, um, give them some space, but I want the successes to be theirs, because... 98% of the time, they will end up crossing exactly where my book says they should cross anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. It's so like, if I give them space to get there, yeah. then it's their victory. I don't need the victory. The victory is if it's a good show. It doesn't have to matter how we get there. Right. So I, I want them to know that I have confidence in them to find their way with guidance and vision um, and that I trust them. They're in the room because they gave an extraordinary audition. They're an incredible actor and I trust them to grow this piece. And I'm also 100% open to being thoroughly surprised by a choice I had never considered that could be so much better than I had ever dreamed in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. What was this transition for you from performing into uh, like production dance supervising and directing? Was Rent the first foray for that or had you been doing it on other shows? 
I dance captained on other shows, um, and I had swung. I'd swung Tommy. Um, so I knew, like, the swing... I've been taught the swing brain. I had, you know, I've always had incredible mentors in my life who've literally, like, stepped into my life like an amazing cameo, given me exactly the tool I needed, and, like, you know, have become, like, lifelong friends. But I met Bayerk Lee at such an incredible time in my life, um, and I was in a production of Porgy and Bess of hers, and we, you know, I don't know if you've ever spent any time with Bayerk, but she's the real deal. Like, yes. she's... <laughs> yes. Honest, wonderful, positive. Um, when she did Porgy and Bass, she took lessons to learn how to read music, which I appreciate so much because my pet peeve are directors that don't read music for musical theater. And I'm like, it's your freaking engine. Like, yeah. it's not hard to, like, you can take a lesson, <laughs> learn what music, how to use music. Yeah. Um, but she, she did that. And I was so impressed that she had done the work because that that inspires everyone else to go the distance and do the work. Um, and we spent a lot of time together on that show. I was off doing the show. Um, uh, I left the show and I went to go do Tommy. And when I got Tommy, I was cast as a swing for the first time. And I called her and I asked her, you know, how do you swing? And she taught me exactly what to do, which was amazing. When Rhett came around in my life, um, and I, I'll go back for a second. While I was doing Tommy, they were sending Porgy and Bess out on another European tour that she was unavailable for. And she called me and said, Shelly, I want you to set this production. And I literally thought she was crazy. I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, listen, you know how to do this. I'm going to send you some videotapes. I'm going to send you all the research books and you're going to do this. <laughs> and, I think she was a, I think she knew before anybody that I was going to be a director, certainly 15 years before I did. Um, so I, I did that and it was an incredible experience and I loved it so much and I learned so much. And then I, um, I got rent and I was cast as a dance captain and I called Bayork and I was like, Bayork, how do you dance captain? And she taught me how to build a dance captain book. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if anybody knows how to do it, it's by Lee, right? She said like a thousand times of a chorus line. And so I, she taught me everything and she said to me, and hand to God, Clay, she said, she said to me, this is what you're going to do. You're going to build the most incredible book with the most incredible charts. And then when you go to lunch, you're going to leave your dance captain book open. And you're going to go to lunch. And she said, and I tell you what, Shelly, you were going to be setting companies of rent all over the world. And I thought she was bananas, but I love her. So I was like, okay, bye, Eric, I'm going to do what you said. And rent had an original associate choreographer. Um, so it kind of didn't make sense what she was saying to me, but I did what she said. And the, and the associate choreographer got pregnant. And Marlise came to me and she said, Shelly, I would like for you to become the associate choreographer. And it was everything that Bayer had said. Oh it was every single thing. Oh and Marlise, who's extraordinary, was like focusing on her own, you know, she's got her own dance company. And so I was able to go and set companies of rent all over the world. Exactly as she said. And, um, and, then, when I, and then I missed being on stage. I would swing into rent. But the rent companies were like winding down. I did it for like, I don't know, four years, four and a half years. 
and um, and I wanted to be back on stage, and I'd always wanted to do an original company of a show, and I ended up auditioning for for Aida, and I got the show. You know, I had done Wayne, I'd done Tommy with Wayne. Wayne knew me. Um, many of the creative team knew me from from Rent, so it was it was an incredible experience. And about I don't know halfway through Rent or halfway through Aida. I realized that it was very strange for me to no longer have a voice. You know, when I saw something wrong in Rent, I could do something about it. Yeah. Like, if an understudy did something, I'd be like, oh, you know, I could... But I was like, no one cared what I had to say. And I was like, whoa, I don't like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it was also really interesting to be doing a show as a woman of color, about a woman of color, and not having any women behind the table and I was like wow there's there are no african-american people behind the table there are no women behind the table and there are necessary conversations that need to be had about this piece they're not being had and I realized that if I wanted the experience of having that person behind the table I was going to have to become that person so I might not ever have it but I could be it for someone else and and that was when I get a closed I knew that that was gonna be my last show Wow so you were having this discovery during that show oh I need to yeah I need to be that voice yeah yeah the last year of the show I was so antsy yeah. I was like it, it I, I got it I got a switch yeah I was like it's time I knew it Wow and this is something, um, now, are you, are you like a spiritual? Is this something you just feel in your spirit? Is this a conversation you're having with mentors? Or is this all just within you? It's all of the above. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like it, I've always trusted my gut. And, it's, I'm, and I'm a little like go big or go home, you know, with yes, my gut. Same. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, I had done it at 18, right? Like, I was like all set to go to college, and I was like, Nope. <laughs> so, you know, I, I know in my gut that if I am not going to be fulfilled and happy, then the thing that made me the, that that brought me the most joy will make me so miserable. I can't be in theater and be so frustrated with the process at the same time. So I, I knew that if I was going to love this business, I was going to have to pivot because the business is not pivoting for me. Yeah. Um, and I and I found you know, what I think is like my perfect fit. And I say that until like, you know, ask me in 20 years, maybe I'll be doing something else. But, but right now I feel like I can't imagine doing anything else. I love directing so much. Is this now you might've answered this question already, but is there a show that taught you the most about yourself? Rent probably. In leadership or personal? In, in about, in, in everything. Yeah. You know, Rent was a show that happened at a time when the world had shifted in ways that, as a young person, I just could not imagine. Um, it's, it, it is, 
it's hard to think about, you know, I just saw The Inheritance a couple weeks ago, and that play is just brilliant. Um, but it really took me back to being in the early 90s and seeing mentors, people I had dreamed of working with my whole life, die the most horrible deaths, watching them wither away and literally become elderly in the matter of a year or two. It was, you know, on two occasions, I had, when the company is called in for a company meeting, and you know that your show is not closing, but your company meeting is to tell you that your cast member has passed away. Whew. Yeah. It was rough. It was rough. And, um, my God, that period of time. Was there, was there a self-talk you had that was keeping you going? No, because I, I, there was, there were no rules. Like, you know, there was no, everyone around me, every, like we were all drowning. We didn't know what was next, what was up from down. You know, young people don't die like this. Like it just, it made no sense. Um, and it was, you know, and I can say, I had no fear for my own life. So I was in a very different place than my sisters who were experiencing a different kind of loss and a different kind of fear. I do not want to equate my own pain with those who were really facing their own mortality. Um, but I, I certainly lost people I loved dearly. I had friends that were diagnosed and I was mourning them long before. I had friends that were diagnosed that are still alive and thriving, but in my mind, I was like, I'm going to have to say goodbye to you. Like, there were just no rules around that. And when Rent, when that show came into the world, it was one of the most honest, healing, connected pieces about what young people were experiencing. It spoke to my reality so clearly, um, not of the homelessness, but of the loss and love of your chosen family. And I needed that show. I needed to sing Will I every night. I needed to think about life in, you know, measures of love. I needed to think about like one year at a time, one moment at a time, and the gift of that moment. I needed to think about being one of the lucky ones. You know, I needed to heal with people who, whose eyes looked like mine, who were red from crying and tired, but fighting and believing and hoping and having the joy and celebration of being young and fun and reckless, like all of those things in tandem. I needed everything that show had to give me, including the artistic challenge 
in the vision of an incredible creative team and a score that literally like changed my life. I needed every bit of that show at the time in my life that I had it. And I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. And the people in my life will, you know, are like lifelong friends. Yeah. So I, you know, that show was incredible for a lot, a lot, a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, it's very funny and not funny that life really is, it's a circle. It really is. There really yeah. is a circle to life. And I think it's very interesting that in Aida, your decision and you knowing that you're no longer going to just perform, you're going to direct. And now to see, you know, here, right here on Broadway briefing that there's a workshop of Aida, you know, in the spring of 2020 with you at the helm. It just seems so fitting. Oh, my goodness. I, you know, I've known for so long, so it's been like the best-kept secret in my own life for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun that other people know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it is, it is, it's full circle moment in, in so many ways and so many reasons. This show feels incredibly poignant. Um for a lot of reasons at this at this time it's an incredible time to revisit this story i have to ask how did you come about with it again what was the conversation um so i have a really kind of amazing story so the very <laughs> first show when i became a director um the very first show i ever directed um when i became a director was aida um, and it was at the Gonquit Playhouse in Maine. And I was thrilled to be asked. And one of the things that I wanted to address were a few moments that I felt, um, you know, especially after, you know, I played Aida over 70 times. You know, I knew the part pretty well. I knew the show very well. I actually wrote a note to Tom Schumacher and asked him if I could make some changes in my upcoming production. And, um, and he was very kind and, um, and said to me, well, submit your changes in writing and I will review them and we can discuss. So I did that, you know, my justification for like the reason why and blah, blah, blah. So I sent him this letter and he said, why don't you come in and let's discuss this? Oh. And I was like, great. <laughs> so I went in and discussed, you know, and we had a beautiful conversation and at the end of it, he said, you know what? I don't agree with all of these, but I will let you do them. Explore them and see how it goes, and I'll send someone from Disney to go see it. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I, I got to try them all. He, he sent someone from Disney. They really liked the show. Um, I had some clips from the show that I was able to share with Tom. And when I came back to the show, Tom said, you know, why don't you, um, this is great. And when I would leave his office, he would say, why don't you come back and see me in like, you know, three or four months and we'll chat again. So I'd walk out and I would make an appointment with his assistant and that just kept happening. So I would like leave and I'd make an appointment like I was going to the dentist and I'd be like, I'm coming back in four months. And we've been doing that for 16 years. Wow. Um, so Tom is like, you know, we talk about everything from like Broadway grosses to hey, I'm working on this devised piece or, you know, all kinds of subjects we've talked about, you know, over the years. Um, there's shows where I, you know, 
I was debating on whether I wanted to do a particular production, and he's like, yes, you must do this. It's going to be really good for your career, and it's going to... So uh, we kind of run the gamut. We talk politics sometimes. We talk, you know, all kinds of life things. We both um, have very similar minds and passions for knowledge and the world and travel. And, and so, you know, on one of these days, he called me and said... Um, but I got a call from his assistant that said, like, Tom would like to see you, you know, do you have any time in the next day or two? And I was like, um, yeah. And it's the first time I've ever been, like, summoned. You know, usually, like, we have an appointment, like, a few months, you know, in advance. And so I got there, and he's like, I bet you're wondering why you're here. And I'm like, yeah, this is new. Um, and he just started smiling, and he said, you know, we're talking about this revival for Aida. I've been talking about it for a while. And... I thought about you, and every time I've said to someone, hey, what do you think about Shelley Williams directing this? He goes, they're so enthusiastic about it. And he said, and I, like, I literally, like, it, it's you. You should be the one to do this. And he said, and then I realized I had talked to so many people about it that I better get to you before it gets to you. So I was like, I better get her in here quickly. Because he was like, I was talking, you know, with somebody at Bar Central about it last night. Like, I got to get you in. <laughs> so that's how I found out. Like, I was, um, you know, it was very surprising, I have to say. Um, and it was thrilling because I didn't see it coming. Um but what I did have and what I, what I do have with Tom is psychological safety. Yeah. You know, I can be the bravest. I can throw out any idea. I can discuss anything because we have been in conversation for 16 years. Yeah. And, and as an artist who can have that kind of relationship with a producer, it's thrilling. I'm not navigating the, oh, God, is it okay? I'm really just, you know, doing my homework and coming, you know, coming to, to him with, I have a thought about this. Can we discuss this? And it's, it has been, um, you know, I, would, I, I think that every person should have a 16-year relationship with any producer they work with because it really is game-changing. Yeah. Um, but, but. I have to say that I feel like I'm in a very, very safe space that I am deeply respected, um, that I have the full support of Disney behind me. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the, and the process has been joyful. It has been the most joyful exploration. Um, I've been working with Bob Crowley for a little while and David Henry Wong and, Natasha Katz and and all of them have the spirit of generosity and kindness and have leaned into and these are all people who have so many years you know so much um, entrenched in the show and yet their um, humility and and kindness to be open to new ideas speaks to the kind of artists that they truly are and how they just love good story. Yeah. 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 That w that was my question. Are you, are the, are the authors coming back? Are you having like David, Robert, Linda, Elton, Tim, are they all uh, so, coming back together? 
on this production, it's just David Henry Wong. Great, great. But David, David and I are working very closely on this. Um, I was actually like, I've been talking with, I went to London and met with Tim about a month ago, and we were actually like emailing each other yesterday because he was just here to see Avita. Um, he's lovely in every way, and we are having a grand time together. So it has been, um, it, it's, it's, it has brought me so much joy uh, to, to come back to this piece with, with new eyes, new ears, and um, a new possibility. That's, it's absolutely incredible, and I cannot wait to hear more and see more about it, because I think it's just going to be... And I think that's wonderful that it happened up at Ogunquit, you know, the, the revising of it and the thoughts that you had. That's just so, yeah. it's so funny. I, I worked at Ogunquit two years ago, and it was a Tim Rice show, the From Here to Eternity. Oh, oh my gosh. So it's funny. Oh. It's just funny how these, these stories and things kind of overlap, you know? <laughs> I know. And then, you know, we, we haven't even gotten to the Camille Brown part of it, which is yes. so delicious. That's the next part. <laughs> Please yeah. share what you're willing. <laughs> um, well, I can't share much. Okay, um, that's fine. Except the fact that like everybody knows she's brilliant, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, but I have seen some samplings of what's to come, and it's really, really thrilling. It's really, really exciting, and um, it's incredible. It is incredible. Like I'm. I'm really excited to work with an African American female on this show who is incredibly accomplished. I'm I'm excited that there will be such a strong female voice leading the show. Um so it's yeah, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of hers and I'm excited to tell the story with her. I have to ask you, um, in mm-hmm. life, what's most important to you? The truth. I think, you know, the most important thing is I, I always talk about authenticity, which is another version of the truth. Um, but the hardest thing that I have ever had to do, and it is, it is something that I have really come into probably in the last, like, four or five years of my life, is to be authentic all the time. And I don't think that that is something that as when I was an actor, I gave myself permission to be because I wanted to get the job and I felt like I knew what I had to do to get the job. Um, As a director, I had pangs of anxiety when I had children of like, will people want to hire me? Will they think that I can't travel? That, you know... And now I, I truly lead with my authentic self. And I am fearless to say things that I feel are inappropriate, things that I feel are wrong, things that I feel, you know, if I read something in the script and I'm like, you know, I don't, I, I don't think that, that a man should speak to a woman this way in this scene. I am very candid with writers. Um, And I feel like those relationships where I am my authentic self and I am giving permission to the people around me to bring their authentic selves to the work, 
that is the best work I have ever done with the best people I have ever worked with. And so I try to lead by setting the standard of, I want you to be you. And I am going to be me in all of my, in all of my truth. Like I could be in the middle of the scene and if my phone rings and it says school nurse, I'm going to say, can we hold please? Because in this moment, this is my priority. Right. And it's taken a long time for me to give myself permission to, to be in that space. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, such a, that's such a great, that's such a great answer. Are you, do you have like a morning ritual? Do you start the day or end the day in a certain way? I wish. Okay. I start the day always mad that it's way too early. Um, (laughs) You know, yeah. like, I, I've got kids, and so, like, I spent the day with, like, did you brush your teeth? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I did try to do, for a long time, I was writing, like, three things I was grateful for. Yeah. Um, which I would like to get back to that, because I know how um, how wonderful it is to start the day from a place of gratefulness. Um, so I plan to reincorporate that. Um but honestly, I wake up like every morning just shocked at first of all how early it is, and then second of all that I have to like get up and get humans out the door to school. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. not right for a person who's like geared for nightlife. It has just never gotten in my body that that is what my life is, <laughs> and it's a sacrifice. Yes, it, it is. It is a. It's a wonderful. It's a champagne problem. Let me tell you. But uh, but I've never. But I've never gotten used to it. It is not in my body to do that. After nine years, it's still not in my body. Right. 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 I. You know. It's. There's the other thing I was reading, and I was. I was doing a little research before we had our conversation, and you're using the arts with social justice and being on the board of the Broadway Inspirational Voices and all of the, it's like you're using, you're not just directing, but you're using theater as a tool to really educate um, mass group yeah. of people. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, for any performer listening to this conversation or producer, director, what have you, is there an ask or is there a sentiment you want to share in regards to that? Specifically for Broadway Inspirational Voices, or specifically... Yeah, let's let's start with Broadway Inspirational Voices. Um, I've been a choir member for 19 years, and Broadway Inspirational Voices was such an incredible part of my healing um, around the AIDS epidemic in New York. Um. Because it was something, you know, I was doing Rent at the time, and that's how I met Michael and was invited into the choir. And I got in the choir just as Aida was starting. So I you know, met him during our time at Rent together. And it was... It, there's something so different when you are doing eight shows a week in a show and when you're rehearsing with BIV. And Michael... Michael McElroy is such an extraordinary musician and arranger that he actually makes you work harder than you do in your show. It's like you have to keep your chops up to perform this material 
not only because of the the musical rigor, but also because of the the you have to bring yourself to the piece in such an honest way yeah. for the song to work. Like these songs are about you know the, the whole like gospel medium or songs to pick each other up. They're songs that are meant to encourage and lift and and create community and and find power within that community. And when you can get inside the mindset of that music, all of that transformation happens inside you as the singer. And you feel the power of every person next to you having that same personal transformation. And I cannot describe the feeling of that. It is unlike anything I've ever experienced in a Broadway show. Hands down. Because in a show, I'm servicing a character. And in BIV, I'm in service to my own growth, but also available to be in service to those around me. And that is the power of music. So making that connection from what we experience and saying, if we could give that to young people who are underserved here in this city that we love, if we can teach them how to allow music to serve them, to heal them, to give them a voice when they feel voiceless, to create community, to be surrounded by something that you must surrender to for it to be great, how empowering could that be for them in every walk of their life? Whether they're an accountant, whether they're a teacher, whether they're a football player, or whether they end up on a stage somewhere. Um, and so when that became our mission, it was like hand in glove for me because I, I got it. I knew it. I lived it for so many of us in the choir who spend so much time doing philanthropy. Um, we know the power of music yeah. and we know what a gift it is to give that to someone. Um, and, and you know, the work that we're doing at Covenant House, which happens every month, is transformational because we've committed to being there every month. Whether there's one young person or 30, we are telling these, these young LGBTQI people who have had no one show up for them on a regular basis that we will be there and we will be here every month. And if you want to help on your resume, if you want help with your makeup to get ready, if you want to dance, if you want to write your story, if you want to sing, if you want to dance, you know, like whatever it is that you want to do, yeah. we got you. And then we go to the demographic of Ronald McDonald House, and we have these young children fighting unbelievable cancers that can only be treated here at Sloan Kettering. 
you know, often neurological cancers, myoblastoma, things that they specialize here in New York. And we pair composers and lyricists with these kids, and we, um, they spend time together for a few weeks, and the composers and lyricists go off and write a song. And what is so incredible, um, and I've learned this because we just performed our 40th song at the house. You know, we've done this for eight years, and it's the house's 40th anniversary, and we just presented our 40th song in September. And um, what I learned about doing these songs in this program for so many years is the songs are never about death and dying and cancer. They're about, like, superheroes and going to Disney World and liking Pikachu and, like, that. when you talk with kids, no matter what they're fighting, they're kids first. And their hopes and their dreams and their wants supersede anything that they are going through. And these joyful songs have sometimes outlasted these little people's lives, but the parents have this beautiful memory, this cherished piece of music that is the spirit of their child. And in the last couple years, you know, we usually do like six or seven kids um, per session when we do it in the fall. And the last couple years, we've started doing some siblings because the siblings are often the forgotten child. So if a sibling, you know, if your brother or sister has cancer, the whole family's focus is on the child with cancer. And if you're like, you know, the 14-year-old sibling who's like in junior high and now has to get like uprooted to New York, for good reason, no one's kind of thinking about you. Yeah. Because you're, you're alive, right? You're, you've right. got like... But it doesn't mean that that child isn't also going through their own bits of suffering, their own fear about their sibling, their frustration about their whole life changing, not understanding what is going on, because why are they facing a sibling's more, you know, possible mortality as a teenager? All of those emotions, all of those thoughts, thoughts about, like, I was dating someone in California, and now I'm in New York, and, like, life is... All of those things. And we've started also doing songs with the siblings. And it has been really transformational to think about, you know, who we are thinking about as disenfranchised voices in our community. And um, in March, we're getting ready to announce, but I'll give you a little, a little, um, a little update that no one knows. Um, March 2nd, we are doing Broadway Inspirational Voices is first gala for our 25th anniversary and we have an incredible lineup um we are determined to reinvent the gala so it's going to be like more concert than like you know a chicken or steak dinner love that and I, <laughs> that's great yeah because like no one's really going for the chicken or steak you know yeah. um but we're 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 pulling out all stops and um and i'm really excited to you know not only showcase the choir but to also you know showcase who we are and not just what we do and, um, and shine some light on that. So thank you for asking. And I, you know, I would say to anyone who's listening to this, it, we had a program some years ago that we did at um, Green Chimneys, which is a house for LGBTQI kids and our teens, I should say, not kids. And um, 
and it was called Give Your Gift. And everyone has a gift. And sometimes the gift that you have, if you're not like artistically inclined, is your, your story. Because people need to know that it gets better. They need to know that you can find family that you are not related to. And that family can be there for you in ways that your birth relatives may never be. And a lot of LGBTQI kids are kicked away from their family and they need to be taught how to redefine that, how to trust again. And, and if you don't sing or dance or act, you still have so many gifts to give. And if you want to find a way to give, you will and can find it. And there are so many open arms to receive what you have to give. So I, you know, I really encourage anyone who's interested. Um, there is no, there is no barrier. There's only possibility. So if you want to do it, do it. I love that. That's positively beautiful. And it's so incredible to Thank see, you. you know, someone in your position use this as growth and education and help. And I see you, I hear you, you know, this too shall pass in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I'm raising my kids. It's beautiful. You know, I, I, I want them to always, always be thinking about other people. Always look around. What can I do? How can I help? How can I be of service? How can I support? Um, you know, it makes you not only a, a better person, but I also think like a better artist, a better creative. It's, it's all the same stuff, right? That yeah. same generosity bleeds into everything. Yeah, it does. Generosity, it bleeds into everything. Yeah, yeah, if you let it. Like, something's going to bleed into everything. You can choose it through generosity or negativity or whatever, <laughs> but, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, hopefully you choose generosity, right? Yeah, hopefully. That's so true. Shelly, this conversation has been really incredible. Thank you for taking this time to talk with me today. Oh, it was my honor. I loved it. I loved it. I love, you know, I said to you in an email, I love your podcast. I love how positive it is. I, I, I really appreciate um, the care that you put into talking with artists about the everyday and the people that you have chosen to tell their story, to share information. I'm honored to be among them, and, and I, I really appreciate. There's so many things and so many, like, jaded negativity and, you know, privilege and thoughts about our business. Um, and, and the way that you see it is very similar to the way that I see it. I, I'm... I... I I'm honored to be a part of this business. I'm humbled by the incredible stories that are so desperately needing to be told. And I appreciate every opportunity that I have to meet like-minded people who I can lock arms with and say, hey, you know, 
I cannot wait to make art with you. I cannot wait to support you. I cannot wait to see you do what you do because I see the joy. I see the love. I see the passion. And I, I love that you're putting that, you know, into the world on a regular basis. So thank you, Clay. Thank you for saying that. I do believe it. There's, there's never too much positivity. There can always be more. And the real kind, the kind we're talking about, this genuine stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There can always be more. As we wrap up here, I'm curious, out of all these themes we touched on today, is there a word or a phrase that you would put on a billboard for millions of people to see? Yeah. I would put up, say yes. Say yes. Because you know what's so interesting is that when something is, when there's something that you know you shouldn't do, right? Everything in you is saying, say no. Like when someone's like, hey, do you want to try some crack cocaine? Yeah. Like your inner thought is like, <laughs> no. no. Now, some people, some people like might do it, right? But like right. that, your inner thought is no. But when it's something that is scary in the way that like, oh my gosh, I don't know whether I can do that or not. When you have that feeling, I want people to say yes. Yeah. And like that, leaning into like that fearlessness is I think where the best art happens, the best, you know, the best words are spoken. Those moments when you're sitting there and you're like, someone said something that I don't believe to be true and I'm not going to say it, but I know that I should Say yes, speak up, yeah. be an ally, represent yourself in that moment. Say yes to what you know to be true. Say yes to what you think is possible, but you fear that you can't. I think something like, you know, whenever I'm in a, I was, I was so funny. I was in a theater two days ago for a presentation I had, and this woman was saying, all, you know, you can't have 19 people in the cast, you can't won't fit on the stage. And I smiled at her and I said, I, our whole business is based on this idea of we solve for yes. So I want to figure out a way to make this work. Yeah. And she immediately softened. Yeah. And she was like, you know, what? Well, we have these other smaller chairs, but it was just the idea of like, we're both, I want us both to figure out how to get to yes. And so I, I think about that a lot. Um, as a person, I think about when someone says something that I think is absolutely crazy and I want to dismiss them, I then go, no, say yes. Let's go down this crazy path and see where we end up. I might end up being right, but they might end up like blowing my mind. So just say yes. I love that. Say yes. And surrounding yourself with yes, yes. people. <laughs> it helps. Yes, in the good way. Yes, in the good way. Not a bunch of crack. Yes. <laughs> Crackheads. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, are people just saying yes to you because like they think that's what you want to hear? Like genuine people who um I'll never forget this thing that Bob Crowley said to me when we started Aida, and I will say like in all honesty, I was really petrified of all the people on the creative team to like sit down with him because he's freaking Bob Crowley, right? Yeah. And when I started talking about my vision for the show, he said to me, and I was like, you know, how do you feel about this? And the adjustments, and he said, 
I already got the Tony for Design for Aida. I am here to execute your vision. And I, like, that is an artist who says yes. Yeah. He's like, I did it already. So let's tell this beautiful story that you want to tell. Let's find it together. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, say yes. Look at this artist saying yes to me in this moment. Someone I've revered for so long is in complete service to the vision of this piece and not sitting back and going, we're doing my design as it was because I got the Tony already and like, blah, blah, like there was none of that. Right. None of that. So it, it taught me something really pretty extraordinary when you look around and go, huh, that's why you're so good, Bob. <laughs> like, that's why. <laughs> it's not a coincidence because you're an amazing artist and you, you really do. You, you serve the piece with humility and grace and kindness. And I'm, you know, it's a gift to work with artists like that. It really is. It is. And it's been such a gift to chat with you. This has been really, really, oh. really great. Thank you. Thank you, Clay. I, I know people will learn something from this conversation and become a bit better as a human and as a performer. So I appreciate you sharing your slice of humanity today. Oh, well, thank you so much. Like I said, it was an honor to be here and, you know, call me anytime. I'll give you some Aida updates. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, definitely. (laughs) I can't wait. I'll give you like delicious tidbits. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Shelly Williams. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.